Hey everyone, it's Kristen and Sam. Welcome to Attached to the Core, the podcast where we talk about life and how everything can be connected to our earliest attachments. We're so glad you're here. Let's get started to see what today's conversation can mean for all of us. So, how's your week? Um, yeah, it's been fine. I just uh, work is work, and I'm starting to wind down now with the school year. So, um, actually, I had this really big um, reflection thing where I just I recognized that I wasn't doing things that I know I should be doing uh, for myself, like my own self care stuff, and I keep just putting it off. I'm like, you know, once the kids are gone or once you know students are gone that's when I'll get back to that thing. And I felt like it's really been dragging me down. And like, I'm noticing it, like, not only in how I approach my job, but also just how I feel like on a day to day basis. So um, I'm doing a lot of that. And I'm like, you know what, I really need to get back to this stuff, because it's really, it's really starting to take a toll on me. So yeah, end of the school year is fun times. It is fun times. What about you? How's it been going? We had a work meeting yesterday that I kind of reflected the same way, because I got to decide what I'm going to do for work next school year. And if I'm going to return and big changes. So same as like, what is going to make me happy or not? That's what's been kind of going on. But today is exciting. Um, So we have our first guest today. I know. (laughs) Which is very exciting. Um, It's a friend of mine that I've known for a very long time. Um, And her name is Brittany. Hi, Brittany. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Brittany, uh, when did we meet? Um, I think it was like 2013, 2014. So almost one 10 of those years, years approaching yeah. 10 years. God, can uh, you believe it's been that long? No, not at all. Um, so Sam is meeting her for the first time. So that'll be exciting and fun. Yeah, it is exciting. Like I'm looking forward to seeing how this all goes just because I don't know. It's our first guest. So it's a little nerve wracking, but also, um, you know, the fact that you guys have known each other for a long time, like I know you guys know a lot about each other, but I don't know anything about you. So, um, I guess like the first thing, like, what is your, like, should we just jump right in with like, what is your, you know, your background with mental health? Oh man. Um, the first question's a loaded question. Um, so (laughs) I have, yeah, I mean, you know, you told me y'all were going to dive right into it. I, um, you know, I've struggled with my mental health since I was a little kid, like God, probably since I was, you know, six, seven or eight is the first really memories I have of like really struggling with things like anxiety and depression. Um, like those were times in my life when I was going through major life transitions and you know, my eyes were opening as the first time as a kid to things that were going on around me. And, uh, it was some hard stuff. You know, I, I was, go- I went through a lot early on. And I think right around that time is when I really started to learn that, like, you know, the things that these people are doing around me are having a direct impact on me and it's making me feel all these different things. And, you know, when you're eight years old, that's really confusing. So it was, uh, it was really early on for me. And even to like, I mean, when I was eight years old, I don't think I knew anything about mental health or what it was or what it consisted of. So to be able to even like realize like, Hey, something's like going on here is big. Yeah, absolutely. So is that something that you like, you had to do reflection on and realize that it was a mental health thing, or is that something that you picked up on even as early as eight years old? 
Uh, I think it was probably something that I picked up, just picked up on naturally. Uh, naturally, I'm a really intuitive person, um, probably because that's where my foundations kind of started, right? It was, you know, trying to just recognizing that I'm feeling a certain way at a young age, like, you know, whether it's sad or nervous, like, but just kind of those basic high level emotions, like you don't really dig into them at that age, but just recognizing that, man, you know, like when my mom is gone, I feel sad. Or when my dad says this, I feel upset about something. And then, you know, you realize that those emotions are a lot deeper. Um, and over time, it made me really self-reflective. I probably one of the most self-reflective people that I know, um, probably other than Kristen, uh, <laughs> but, um, and I've, I've learned that into adulthood, you know, that kind of carried with me. Um, so it's a, it's a good trait to have, but what you realize is that most of the, um, the self-reflective people that, you know, get it from, you know, having to figure out things on their own. And some of us, right. you know, as young kids. That's so interesting. Um, the next thing I would ask is, did Wait, you ever hold on. Cause I was going to say, like, I would disagree that most people know those are basic emotions. I mean, that's a lot of yeah. what we would talk about, like how, like a lot of kids don't even know like what they're feeling and why they're feeling it. So, you know, they turn to like anger or like whatever, mm -hmm. because they don't know they're feeling sad or why they're feeling sad or whatever. So even right. like having that higher level of like social emotional connection is like a lot, probably intuitive of your personality and like your temperament, you know, to like already kind of know, like, I don't feel great right now. Like why type thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so, <laughs> that's so interesting. Cause I, I think, think that's we have, a great point, Kristen. We have this argument, like not argument, but we have this discussion a lot about how a lot of people know those words, like they know how to say like self-reflection or they say, you know, anxiety or depression or, and really not knowing what those things mean. Cause I think they think that they go together. They're like hand in hand or like your anxieties, like, a, like it's something on its own, right? Like, I guess if you have like generalized anxiety disorder, you would just have anxiety over almost anything. But I think most people's anxiety stems from something that they're either worried about or scared from, but they don't know how to identify those things, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think absolutely. that's a problem that I have a lot when I'm talking to people or clients and they're just like, oh yeah, I have like, they bring up the word anxiety. And I think it's just so common nowadays. And that's how it gets thrown in there. But you're right. I don't think most people know how to recognize those feelings. Um, and actually put like a label to it to where they can identify it. And then that's where the work really starts, mm -hmm. right? Is yeah. addressing that issue. Yeah. Well, you know, and to your point too, I think that, um, there was a time, you know, within the last 10 years that the word anxiety really became kind of a buzzword for people, you know, it was like, oh, well, I have so much anxiety over this. And, you know, it could be a dramatic usage of the word, or it could literally be, you know, somebody like me going, well, you know, like I do have a lot of anxiety. I have a lot of anxiety around a lot of the things in my life. And so I think it became this really blurred line of who actually has anxiety and suffers from the legitimate like mental disorder or who, Absolutely. you know, who is just saying it, you know, to be dramatic or is it a buzzword or people are just using it. I don't want to say to get attention because that sounds hateful. But... Almost like a catch-all, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like That's it's like, it. Hey, if you're having any issue, any social, you know, anything that makes you nervous, basically, then that's anxiety like and it's just like this catch-all for not only mental health but like when people don't want to do things like let's just be honest like <laughs> yeah. some people will just say that 
I'm glad you said buzzwords and then you said dramatic because that's what I've been wanting to say, but I didn't want to offend anybody um, about how, <laughs> about how like, yeah, everyone has OCD and everyone has anxiety and everyone is like, everyone's always, narcissistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh God. That one's My like God. a huge one. Like, which is crazy because it's so hard to diagnose. A uh, yeah, narcissist. Narcissist. yeah. Like it's even hard for a mental health professional because they're a narcissist so like you don't even know like it's so hard um but anyways yeah no and yeah being aware that like and it probably I don't know does it make you does it sometimes make you feel like your emotions are like less than because now everybody has Mm -hmm. anxiety or everybody has you know I so I didn't know I had anxiety until I was like like my mid-20s when I started like my therapy adventure right So, um, up until then I was always like, Oh, this is how people normally function. Everybody's like this. And, uh, you know, once I was actually, my therapist was like, Oh honey, you have an anxiety disorder. Like I don't have to do much work to be able to tell you that. And then once I started, once I was, you know, diagnosed and then I was out in the world and people, you know, were saying things like that, right. Like, uh, Oh, that, well, this just gives me so much anxiety. And I would be like, does it? Like that, that would be my question then it's like, once I was actually diagnosed with it and I walked through that with the mental health specialist, then I would be out in the world and people would be like, oh, I have OCD. And I'm like, do you, because I was almost diagnosed with OCD and I know what hell that is. And then it's like, oh, well, this gives me so going out gives me so much anxiety. And it's like, does it really give you anxiety or are you just nervous or like, um, you know, maybe you're anxious about it, but do you really have anxiety about it? And so it really just made me start to question the way that the world was kind of portraying mental health, right? Like everybody has it. Everybody has OCD. If you like your kitchen clean and it's like, no, you don't understand that like, you know, anxiety and something I learned was, you know, anxiety is a gateway to OCD. And so whenever Mm -hmm. you're being fed this information, um, by a mental health specialist or a counselor, and they're giving you authentic information and you go out in the world and you see how the world contorts it. Um, it's really eye-opening and, and you, I kind of rolled my eyes at it. Cause I'm like, okay, you do not have OCD, you know, you know, or like you may have anxiety. It's really common. Right. But do you really have OCD? Because that is a diagnosed problem. And, uh, it kind of makes me roll my eyes at society along with, you know, hundreds of other things that society makes me roll my eyes at, but, um, but yeah, it kind of, it doesn't really make me feel like, you know, like my feelings are less. It just kind of opened my eyes to what actually constitutes anxiety and what is just, like we said, a dramatic buzzword. Yeah. So yeah, that dramatic buzzword is, and the other thing I would say is like, not even being dramatic, but like, are you just lazy? Cause like, if you're, yeah. if you're getting anxiety from something where it's like, well, I don't want to go out or whatever. I get too much anxiety from, you know, having to get dressed up and be around all these people. And I, I guess after COVID, you know, being in a social environment, there would be some of that. I, I do understand that. Cause I felt that a little bit, you know, when things started to open back up, mm-hmm. but like, are you going to be willing to do the work to, you know, basically just go through with it, right? Like, yeah, you may be anxious, but then now every time you go out, now you're just going to think about that last time that you didn't mm-hmm. and you're going to ke- just keep putting it off. So are you, you know, just, <laughs> just lazy and it's not even really a buzzword at that point. You just, you don't want to do anything yeah, because it's way more comfortable to sit at home in your pajamas and watch Netflix or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah that, that makes me think of, uh, 
I, who was I talking to? I don't even remember where I got this information from. Oh, it was a podcast. Oh, it was a podcast that we actually I sent you about how, uh, like even going outside is better than doing nothing. So like to what Sam said, like people who are falling into depression, right? Like that's another one of those could, buzzwords. Yeah. <laughs> they, you, if they went outside physically every day and even like got the mail, it would be a step in the right direction. Right. But even doing that, they're like, well, I'm depressed. Like, I just want to stay in bed. And it's not to discredit their depression. It's more just like there are such small things that you can do to help those feelings and to help that stuff that are you just lazy and don't want to actually like even try to start working on it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I'm not an excuse. Basically. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't want to say that I'm calling everyone who has you know, those types of issues, lazy. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is for some people, it could be as simple as, Hey, we just need to go out there and like, you know, you put yourself out there or reacclimate yourself to this situation. And then the more often that you do it, the less, you know, anxious you're going to feel whenever that, you know, that situation comes up again. Um, and I think that's kind of my problem with just, you know, the words that we're talking, like how society uses these words to kind of, I don't know, really, I feel like hold themselves back from yeah. doing things. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where the whole, you know, using the word lazy comes from. Yeah. Right. And when, you know, whenever you've been actually diagnosed with something like, like, for example, when I was diagnosed with my anxiety, um, I recognized a trait within myself that I saw in my mother when I was younger. And I went to wow. my therapist and said, you know, I'm doing this counting thing where I catch myself counting and counting and counting and counting like cycles over. And she said, okay, Like we need to get your anxiety in check or you're going to walk through that OCD door, that gateway, if you're not careful. And so, and I say that because, you know, when you're diagnosed by a mental health professional, um, whether it's anxiety or depression or, you know, bipolar or OCD, like the range of it, the person that's diagnosed is essentially assigned a set of things to help them cope and, and move past it and learn to live with it. Whereas when people are using this as a buzzword, it's like, Oh, I have so much anxiety. I can't do that. And it's like, don't, don't use that word as a crutch and don't use that word as an excuse, because there are people out here that are being diagnosed with severe problems that are actively working on, you know, people that are afraid to go outside, you know, like you can joke about that, but people are actually afraid to take a step out their front door. And if they can do that, that's a huge deal for them. Or, you know, you know, people that are, have depression that haven't taken a shower in three weeks, like just taking a shower or brushing their teeth is a huge step. And so when people frame it as an excuse, it's like, almost an insult to the people that are actually trying to learn to cope and live with these things. And so it just, it puts things in a lens that makes it a little confusing for everybody to understand, I think. Oh yeah. And I think it's like glamorizing it, but like in the worst way, like instead of bringing attention to it, it's like saying, like you said, like, Hey, you can use this as a crutch and tell everybody you're depressed and to leave you alone. But uh, you did your makeup or, you know, your hair today and you still showed up to school or, or work or wherever. And it's like, oh, I'm depressed. So I don't really want to be, you know, it's just, it's mm-hmm. just those words that bother me. So, yeah. yeah. And I don't think it's anyone's fault. It's just like the way the, we always talk about the media and like how everything's just thrown in your face, you know? And yep. so like right. people are learning on TikTok and Instagram and all these things like what depression is and what, like whatever. And it's just like, 
that's definitely like it's hey, parts like, of it. <laughs> I like to call that the WebMD like oh, yeah. <laughs> diagnosis. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. hey, I'm on there, and it's like, well, what did you figure out? You got it's like as a dude, it's like I got menopause, and it's just like <laughs> it doesn't have like, but all the symptoms match up, right? And it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, you may feel that way one day, but it's not like you know consecutive days or whatever. And I just think it's so funny that. And there are good, there is good information because I will read stuff and I'm just like, yeah, but I can also see how a lot of that information could be misinformation to someone who doesn't understand it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there is that. Um, I know what I wanted to ask because this bothers me. Like if we're talking about the media and the way people portray certain things in the mental health world. um, So I know Olivia Rodrigo, she gets a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of attention to her, you know, right now with her music and stuff like that. But one of the Y'all things I probably know more about Olivia Rodrigo than I do. Well, and th- look, I don't, <laughs> I don't follow her or anything like that, but I, you know, just driving around, you'd hear certain songs and I'm like, why is this girl saying that she found the therapist for somebody? Because like, I feel like that relationship that you have with your therapist is, you know, it's pretty much, and that's what I was going to ask you, you know, like when you went, so what is and, the lyric? Tell me. I can't I remember. I mean, it literally just says like the therapist she found, like she broke up with a dude she found him a therapist and oh it must be working and i'm like yeah but you can't like he had to do the work with that therapist for it to oh actually work so well, you yes. legally you can't find someone a therapist right anyway. <laughs> i guess you could slide them their phone number but i'm saying but like, like this is what people are like kids young people are listening to and this is what they think is like oh when we break up and you're where and your mental health is great and mine's so horrible because you broke up with me and i'm just like yeah that's can be part of it right but like all the other things that she's saying she did for this person, like she didn't actually do it for him. Like if anything, the dude's the more healthy one. Cause he probably broke up with someone who was probably dragging his mental health down. Yeah. And he went to a therapist and recognized like, Hey, this relationship's bad for me. And I probably need to move on Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But well, I and- wanted, I wanted to talk, ask you about just your relationship with your therapist. Like, obviously you don't have to go into detail, but just oh, what it took for you to find them. Um, what that process looked like for you. Uh, did you find them on the first time, you know, like just Mm -hmm. kind of some of those questions and have you moved to different therapists? Yeah. So my, first of all, my thought on that Olivia Rodrigo lyric (laughs) is, uh, and I know like, God, if my first therapist heard me saying this right now, she'd like roll over. Right. Um, (laughs) that is very codependent behavior of her to find somebody else, a therapist cope with their trauma. (laughs) Like how, like, cause I'm codependent and something else I learned because I learned I was codependent when I tried to send my former relationship to therapy. Right. I'm, I feel you, Olivia, like I feel you, but like that in itself, you need to work on that. Um, (laughs) but so I actually got into therapy, um, speaking of that last relationship. So it was my, uh, I say first marriage because the relationship I'm in now, I hope leads to my second, but, um, you know, I was in this, this past relationship and it was just, and I think Kristen can attest to this, the most toxic environment I probably could have put myself in. Am I shocked that I ended up in it? Absolutely not. I should have seen it coming from a mile away, like hindsight's 2020, but you know, I'm in the middle of this relationship. I am severely, this is about the time that I learned that I have anxiety and depression and I'm borderline OCD at this point. And I, um, my relationship was failing. I couldn't get through to my partner and, um, my, one of my, you know, last straws or steps that I wanted to take was let's go see a couples counselor. Mm -hmm. Uh, that lasted first. I had to fight tooth and nail, um, to get 
that person to go to the counselor with me. And they went one time and she saw straight through him and he hated it. And she also saw straight through me, but I loved it. I was like, oh girl, tell me all the things that you see so I can be better. And that's my MO. I've always been like that. So, um, he ended up not going back. I ended up continuing to go back every week because she was like, we need to unpack stuff with you. Like you think you're normal. You think you're doing the right thing, but you're doing the right thing for all of the wrong reasons, which she was like, you know, check the box of codependent the first session that I was there. And, um, so I got, let me pause you. Tell me a little bit about like, just quick for people listening, like what would you, how would you describe codependency? Okay. So I'm glad that you asked that. Actually, I actually hear a lot of people say I'm codependent, but they're not. A lot of people don't really understand what codependency is. It is not depending on the person that you're with. It's not clinging to the person that you're with. Codependency is being in a relationship with somebody and doing everything for them, which is why I said that thing about Olivia Rodrigo. For example, my partner was struggling with a lot of issues and I knew he needed a therapist. So I found a therapist for him. Or if he needed to update his resume, I'll update your resume for you. I'm really good at that. Or I'll manage your finances for you. I'll help you. I'll send you all of these jobs that I think he would be really good for. And it's like, you're it's not really fixing people. It's living people's lives for them and making decisions for them when they never asked you to. And um. I think a lot of people see a lot of Same people don't, un- right now. Yeah. Yeah, I really am. don't understand that a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm so codependent. I depend on my partner for everything. And it's like, Oh no, honey, you're not codependent. Your partner is because your partner is probably the one doing everything for you. It's like almost like mothering. It's, it's like, um, what, what was I called? Um, an adult child, um, is what my therapist always referred to me as. Cause when I was a child, I was forced to grow up, do the responsible thing, be the adult. And I carried that into my relationships and it's directly correlated to me being a codependent partner. And I still have to work on, like, I can catch myself, you know, you know, seven years later, it's easy for me to go ah, don't do that. Right. Brittany, don't do that. Don't you do that for him. If he wants to do it, he'll do it himself. Um, but that tackling those tasks and doing things for people is codependency. That yeah. would, I was going to say, that's one of the things that um, me and a coworker always talk about is because we see it a lot with young people is that this, um, this early adulting, right. And like, like you said, you know, I, I recognize that early on and then you just start taking on other people's problems while minimizing your own. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And so Great that's one of, it. yeah. And, and it's just so crazy because so many, I, I think we see a lot of people that will do this um, very young. And, and a lot of it's just from like your circumstances growing up, right? Like if you grow up in a single parent household, whether you're, you know, a boy or a girl, you're going to take on one of those roles. So you're either going to be a caregiver really early, or you're going to be someone who thinks I need to go out and get a job. And then all those other things that we should be doing for ourselves, you know, developmentally around that time, uh, we start putting off, right? So like, we don't hit a lot of those, you know, adolescent milestones that are going to help us build to, you know, ultimately being successful. And and I know that's really broad, like being successful looks different for everybody, but I think it's really important. And that was another thing I wanted to tell you is I think it's awesome that you went in and you didn't just say, I'm going to go to couples. Well, you did do that at first. You did go <laughs> yeah. straight to couples therapy, but then mm-hmm. doing the work individually, I think is so important when you've, yeah. when you've never ha- spoken to a therapist before, you know, 
hey, you go get a couple of sessions by yourself and then I'll do a couple on my own. Yeah. And then we'll go to we'll go to a therapist that specializes in couples counseling and then we'll meet here. But we've done some, you know, Work. maybe just a foundation yeah. that we needed to do to now improve our relationship. But I think a lot of people's first go to is we're just both going to go to couples counseling right now. Yeah. So what did the work with the therapist look like after that? Um, so after that, and first I would like to say that, like, I went to, I started going to therapy and I was so eager to like continue to go because when I was younger, um, I was so desperate for the truth. And I never got it. I was starved for that information. And so when I finally got to the point that I was like, I'm going to start seeing a counselor. Um, I was like, let's do this. Like, I want to be the best, obviously the best version of myself, but I want to, I want to know how I can live like this. Like there's so at the time, you know, untreated anxiety and depression and, you know, through that door of OCD, like that's a lot of chaos going on inside of your body to be also in a very toxic relationship. And so for me, sitting down with a therapist was almost a no brainer to sit down and, uh, you know, go through things like cognitive behavioral therapy and learning how to, you know, when I feel like I'm about to explode for my anxiety, learning things like techniques, like grounding or meditation. And you know, I could go down the list of things you can do with anxiety, but, um, you know, that work just looked like I was going once a week for, for a while. I don't remember the exact timeline. And then I would go every other week, but man, I remember diving into those sessions with her and just leaving, like I would be sobbing during the entire session. Like it even got some sessions got so intense that my counselor cried. <laughs> like, um, there's just been a lot of things that whenever you finally have somebody in front of you that can help you sort through all of the, you know, the trauma that you've been through. And I, I can self-proclaim it's been a lot. I've been through a lot of stuff and, um, having somebody to kind of hold your hand and go, you're not crazy. And this is not your fault, but you've got to learn. Like you have these things, you have to learn how to cope with them. If you want to live a normal, whatever that means life. And so, um, it was a lot of work and it still is. I deal with it still to this day, every day. You don't just snap your fingers and your anxiety goes away. You don't snap your fingers and your depression goes away. They, you know, my depression, I'm fortunate enough, only rears its ugly head every so often, but I know how to cope with that now. But anxiety, man, it's something that I consistently struggle with. And, um, and so even the tools that my therapist gave me at the time, I still use them on a daily basis. And so it's one of those things where you start learning things on day one and you continue to learn and you also continue to use those tools for right. you know, an extended period of time, if not for your life. I always try to tell my, you know, people that I work with is, you know, this is a practice, you know what I mean? Like, it's not something that you're going to go to one or two sessions and then you're going to be, you know, oh, I figured everything out. Like, that's not how this works. Uh, I, I usually relate it to the gym. Like, you're not yeah. going to go to the gym one day and like have a six pack, right? Like, you're <laughs> going to have to consistently go back and do these repetitions over and over and over again until your body's like, okay, now it's starting to take shape. And that's the same thing that we do inside of our heads. Like, mm -hmm. you have to go in, you have to do the work and you, and you have to really be willing to, I mean, just like you put in, I mean, working out's hard. And, and yeah. so that's why a lot of us are overweight, you know, you know, speaking for myself, but you have to do the work and you have to be willing to really sit in there and say, yeah, I'm going to show up, even though this makes me uncomfortable, even though I know I'm going to be sore tomorrow, or even though I know I'm going to have to reflect on some things that I've been trying to drown out. Um, 
I'm going to, I'm going to go and do the work. And it is a practice and it takes yeah. work every day. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And so like, we always try to talk about, um, childhood and attachment and you've brought up a few times, like your mom and things mm-hmm. you've noticed when you were younger. So as much information as you'd like to d- divulge, um, what, like, what has been like a lot of your aha moments related to like childhood and oh, how that question. was correlated? Oh man. Um, so first there was a lot of things, you know, so my, my, like I said, my childhood trauma started really early. I, um, when I was three, my mom for lack of, you know, to save you the time, my mom basically decided she didn't want to do this anymore. Um, so she dumped me on my dad who was 33 at the time. And I'm just a little kid, you know, and my dad, thank God stepped up and did the right thing and decided like, well, nobody else is going to raise my daughter. So I'm going to raise her myself. And that it was me and dad, you know, we talked about, you know, things that you have to sacrifice early on. It was just me and my dad and my dad worked his tail off for us. So I had to help support that. You know, I was waking myself up for school when I was seven years old. Like wow. I was making breakfast, I was doing my laundry, like full loads of laundry. Like I had to step up and do my part. And like, it makes me a very independent human being to a fault. Um, but you know, there were a lot of things that I sacrificed in my childhood to do that. But I think that in individual therapy, you, you really find out, you know, the things that you do that directly affected you from your parents, right? Like whether it was my father being critical or my mother, I have abandonment trauma from my mother and she was this really manipulative, um, this, I don't want to say narcissistic because I don't, I can't even diagnose somebody if they're narcissistic, but she had a lot of these tendencies, um, really severe mental illness type of thing. And, um, you know, I realized once I started going to individual therapy that there are a lot of things that affected me and the way that I respond to those things is, um, is kind of what was flawed. Like I understood what was going on inside of me and, you know, why I felt like I was so screwed up is because, you know, we'll obviously look at my past, but I think that a lot of the aha moments have actually come for me in the last like year. Um, my partner and I have started going to couples counseling and through that, um, I have, the best counselor. Like I worship the ground that this woman walks on. And a lot of the time she's like, well, yeah, like no wonder you have a need for safety and relationships. You have abandonment trauma, like the people that you love and the people that raised you, it was conditional. So now you're in this relationship where you feel like, you know, you mess up one time or you don't do exactly what that person says that like, they're going to bail. And I actually, the first time that I had an aha moment was when I realized that I was a runner. I was the abandoned, I was the abandoner. If you want, if you'd like to call it that way, I was the one that would abandon you before you could abandon me. Mm. And it took my partner going, why are you running? Why do you, why is your first instinct to just shoot through the door? Oh, I'll go, I'll move out. I'm going to go stay somewhere. I'm going to go do this. He's like, you're going to stay. He goes, if you want to stay in the guest bedroom, that's fine. Like while we're fighting or whatever, but you're not going to run, you know? And like, it took me until I was 30 years old to go, wow, like that's, a, if that's not a trauma response, I don't know what is. And so it really took me 
you know, as a human, as an individual, you're like, oh, that makes sense. I've been dealing with a lot of this stuff internally for a long time, but when you're put into therapy with somebody else and your actions are directly affecting this human being in a way that your parents affected you is whenever you're like, oh shit, you're like, I am treating this person that I love very similarly to the way that my parents treated me when I grew up and look what it did to me, you know? And so a lot of the things like my father was extremely overcritical. I am, I was, I'm not, I'm not anymore. I was the person that would go behind Jeremy and reload the dishwasher after he did it. And it's like, why, why are you doing that for (laughs) control? And because you're a perfectionist and it's, you know, it's one of those things where you have to acknowledge well, that never made me feel good. So how could that make him feel good? Especially when your partner has a direct need to have his ego met and validated, which is totally normal. And, and I'm sitting here doing the same things that my parents did to me. You know, the first thing, you know, I, the first thing I took after my mom was I'm a runner, you know, like I run because I'm not going to let you abandon me. I'm going to abandon you first before you can hurt me because then you can't, you can't run away if I've already ran away right. and then protection, protection. It was my safety. You know, if I, and I learned that too, I have a, in an insane need to feel safe in relationships and that's met through different avenues. And we've learned that, but um, you know, there's a lot of things. I think the aha moments for me have been having a very, very good marriage counselor that we're seeing. So my partner, something that totally threw me off and something that has been a a huge adjustment is being a partner to somebody that had a normal childhood. And that's such a wild concept for me. It's like your parents, like, you mean your mom and dad were there and they loved you and they told you they were proud of you. And like, you got to be a kid and go like make mistakes and stuff. And he's like, yeah, like, yeah, like it's, it's normal. Right. And I'm like, what was that even like? And so now I'm a kid coming from a traumatic childhood. I have this totally skewed vision of what love and relationships are. And then I have Jeremy who's just like, wow, this is crazy town over here. You know, like, like he, he, the first, you know, two years of our relationship, he would get so frustrated because he didn't understand why I had anxiety. Like try to explain somebody to explain to somebody why you have anxiety and what that, what that's like. It's like, okay, like I've just lived with it forever. And I, I took the time to explain that to him one time and his eyes just like glazed over. Right. So I think, you know, being in this relationship and going through counseling together has given me more, oh my God, that makes complete sense moments than anything has in my past you know, and it's just, you really realize whenever you're in a relationship and you're trying to, you know, be the best version of yourself and the best version for your partner, you really realize, you know, pardon my language, but like how fucked up you are. Yeah. You you really realize how badly you've, you've, you know, been hurting somebody unintentionally. Of course, nobody ever hurts somebody that they love. It's not intentional, but you look back at it and you're like, wow, I'm not as perfect as I thought I was. And so, you know, being in couples counseling is something that's really opened my eyes to that and and also validated it. I have to say, um, you know, being, you know, our, our counselor will say, you know, Jeremy, you, you feel this way and Brittany, you feel this way. And both of those things are perfectly okay. 
to feel at the same time. Both can exist and they're both validated. You both come from different places. And that was important for me because I always felt like the broken toy. You know, you come from a normal relationship and I'm just struggling to figure out what love is, you know, and, and how to regulate my emotions at 31 years old. And so though that type of validation and that safe, like putting me in a safe space and giving me that validation, I think is really what allowed me to step back and go, I have a lot of work to do. Like that's that trauma had more of an effect on me than I ever would have imagined that I just carry with me. You know, you have to learn to live and learn to cope. Well, and even in you like talking, like that was like, I could have stopped you like 47,000 times because I'm like, I'm listening to you too. And I'm just like reflecting like on myself <laughs> as well and like similar <laughs> traits. And then I'm just like, but then too, like you reflect and I'm like, okay, so we don't have the same background. You know, I am from a two parent household. I would consider my attachment type pretty secure. Um, mm-hmm. So like even some of the things I have, I'm learning too as an adult maybe like little comments that like one of my parents makes that I'm like, oh, if I would have heard that as a child, which I probably did, probably led to like me feeling the way I feel about this thing now, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's just like this big circle and it can be so subtle. And like, we talk about that all the time, but it's just like, like it matters, like everything you went through matters and you don't sometimes realize it till you like stopped and really reflect on like the whole thing. I I wanted to ask if you had, you know, had any relationship with your mom, you know, now, um, after going through therapy, um, after realizing maybe what she was going through, because I I mean, I think I've shared this with you before, Kristen, but, you know, when I think about what my parents went through at their age, I'm like, there's no way I would have been able to make this work. Like it just it wouldn't Mm -hmm. have happened. And I under and all that self reflection that I did understanding where they were at in their lives, and how things, you know, like, not really, not really forgiving what they did, but trying to give them some grace for maybe their lack of, you know, the, the way they were able to handle things, I guess, because it was a lot of pressure on them. You know what I mean? And, and I don't know if you've been able to have that type of reflection or if you've, you know, had any relationship with your mother since then. Yeah, I, um, so I have a whole, a whole thing about that. Um, if you would have asked me, you know, four years ago, I would have been like, like, you know, she's a piece of crap, like right. so selfish and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, life hits you hard and life will knock you on your ass and put you in a very dark place if you let it. And, you know, my depression, when it comes in, it is like a black cloud and it just takes over my life. And there have been scenarios in the past few years where, um, you know, I've been to the point several times in my life throughout my life. Um, since I was a little kid of like, I just wanted to end it. Right. I wanted it to be done. I didn't, I was confused. Nobody was telling me the truth. Um, I just, and I felt like I was stuck, you know, and I've never actually gone through it, but going sliding down that hill, you know, whenever you're crawling back and, or you're, you're going down and you're going into this dark cloud of just mental shit that you're dealing with, you know, you get there a, because you're tired. You're just, your, your soul is so tired of wading through and dealing with it and trying to cope. Um, and when you feel like, you know, people aren't being clear with you or telling you the truth, or, you know, I'm a, Kristen can tell you this. I'm one of the most direct and honest people you will ever meet. I mean, that's because I never had that. Right. And 
the last time that I was really in that spot, I remember thinking, I get it. You know, my, my mom was a drug addict. She did meth. I get it. I get why she did it. I get why she needed to escape from this crap because it never ends. It's always like when you're dealing with things, you know, and my mom, I believe is an undiagnosed, like bipolar one, maybe something more severe than that, but uh, she's also unmedicated. She's never officially been diagnosed. She's literally been living with this unmedicated, maybe a disorder for as long as she can remember. And, you know, dealing with things because I have a feeling that, you know, I kind of get my depression from that side of my family. I know how dark that cloud is. And I know, I know what I would have done in those situations for any type of relief, for any type of reprieve from the pain and the exhaustion and the confusion and the betrayal and the anger, like all of those feelings, I would have done anything to get away from that. Fortunately, I have medication that I can take that helps me sleep. And when I wake up, I'm not in that cloud anymore, but for her, hers was partying. Hers was doing, you know, our parents, God knows what kind of drugs they did whenever we, like before they had us, it was a crazy time back then. And, you know, her resorting to something hard, like meth, like, yeah. Have you heard about that high? Who wouldn't want that high whenever you feel like you want to, you want to die? Like, don't mean to rhyme, but like, you know, when you're that low, who wouldn't want to sacrifice that just for a little bit. And I remember thinking, I get it. Like, I totally get it. And it, not that I could ever forgive her for what she did. You know, like I have wanted a child for a long time and I could never imagine just bailing, right? Just leaving right. and being cruel and manipulative like she was. But yeah, I got to the point that I was like, who would blame her? Like I got to the point where not that, you know, I'm a, I have a completely different outlook on my life as far as what my resources are. I would go to a doctor before I went to something hard, like those types of uppers and those drugs and stuff. But, um, and I think that that is kind of a defining feature that separates why I didn't end up on the same path as my mother. But, um, yeah, man, I get it. And and what the sick joke is that, you know, to, to answer your question about if I still talk to her, um, I stopped talking to her in 2018 because she had gotten sober October of 2016. Um, and I, at the time we weren't talking, she got sober because she realized she had lost her daughter and there were some big life events going on. And I wanted her involved at the time. And I brought her back in and it was a disaster. Um, you know, she did, she did the thing. She did the, the whole cycle. There's a cycle with my mother. I reestablished contact. Things are okay for a while. She realizes she can manipulate me and do whatever she wants. Then she goes off the deep end. I lose my cool and I cut off contact. And then I miss her after a while. I, people don't understand that. Like I miss my mother. I wish I could go and have that relationship and talk with her and be with her, but it's extremely toxic for me. And, you know, I, so I cut off that relationship, um, in 2018, despite her being sober because Um, I don't know if, if you know what happens to the brain after somebody has been doing meth for literally 25 years, but it basically turns your brain into a scrambled egg. Mm. So the things that she was experiencing, these, these withdrawal symptoms were things like full blind, full blown psychosis, delusions, 
Um, her depression was worse than it ever had been. Her anxiety was absolutely through the roof because of her psychosis and her delusions. She was running out of the house with butcher knives in her hands because she thought people were trying to kill her, jumping into neighbors' backyards, like neighbors calling the cops on her, you know, downtown Fort Worth by JPS. She has stood in that intersection, shirt off, screaming with knives in her hands. Like, like it's the stuff that you think that you see in movies, but it's real. And, and the shit of it was, and I, I was telling Jeremy this the other day, all I ever wanted was a sober mom and life gave it to me. And it was almost a sick joke. You know, like I realized that, you know, Brittany, you can have a sober mom, but you'll never have the mom that you want, like the mom that you needed. And so because of like all of that chaos, I was like, I can't live my life like this. I'm never going to have a life if I don't cut this off. And so my, the, how I left it was if you go and you get help and you get diagnosed and you get put on the right medication and you do the right thing, then we can reestablish this relationship. And that's what I left it. And that was in 2018. And, um, you know, I found out that the other day, um, I was talking to my stepdad. I, cause I still communicate with my stepdad via text, but I don't talk to my mom. And, uh, my, my stepdad told me that my mom's still hearing the voices, but she finally got to the point that she actually admitted it to some paramedics that came to the house because she was having a full-blown episode. And in the past she would manipulate the paramedics. Um, it was really scary the way that she did it. Um, you know, she would go from full blown, like hysteria, sobbing, like crazy look on her face to I'm fine. I don't know what they're talking about. They're wow. being ridiculous. And it was terrifying to know that, 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 that it lives in me, right. you know, part of that lives in me too. And, but she finally got to the point where I think she's just tired and she finally told somebody. And so here at the beginning of the month, um, she was supposed to go see a psychiatrist and get diagnosed. I need to follow up with it. But, you know, if she continues to do the work and she becomes stable, you know, then maybe that could be a thing, but I have to think about other stuff too. Like I have this human being that I love more than life itself and his family that I hit the jackpot on like the family that I never had pretty much. Like, am I going to introduce them to that side of my life? Am I going to introduce them to that chaos? And so, you know, I, I still struggle with if I'm going to reconnect that relationship or just leave it like it is, because it's an internal strife for me because I miss her so much and I love her so much, but how long can you let somebody manipulate your life to just kind of bend to their own, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so much stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, well, cause like Sam and I are just always like, this is why we ended up here because like, um, so just real short, like we have a mutual best friend. And so like, you know, we would talk like when we go over there, whatever. And then we just end up in these conversations where we're just like poking each other's brain, like over and over. Mm-hmm. So like, just like from a little, like what you ended on with like your mom kind of like getting old and, you know, getting tired. And I, I actually had this conversation with David about like how I did hear that and read that somewhere like that the brain, like as we get older, like this is a science thing that it literally gets tired. So like racist people become less racist and like people who have died. Yeah. And people who have diagnoses like psychosis, like 
it stops trying because the brain is literally tired. So like, wow. it's not even necessarily like that person. It's like the chemicals in your brain are just like, yeah. all right, like it's time for a rest. So like eventually towards the end of their life, like it becomes the symptoms become less and like, it gets a little more like easier to deal with and all these things. Um, so that's just like crazy too, that you're, I mean, you're seeing it like in real time, you know, if yeah. she actually like moves forward with that thing, um, and decides to get the help and, she needs. And I would yeah. say too, just because, um, so I, you know, listening to your story is just amazing to me because uh, I lost my dad back in uh, August and he was oh, an I'm alcoholic. So yeah. And, and listening to it, it sounds a lot like very similar, like to the mm -hmm. things that we went through and, you know, just some of the, some of the ways that he would act, especially when he was younger, you know, not, not so much towards the end of it. Um, but it just, you know, I always believe that my dad was dealing with something that he just would never, like, I think he literally took it to his grave but he would never share with me. Like I would try to poke and pry and he would just dissociate like right in front of me. Like he just was, I, one of the weirdest conversations I ever had with him was we were in, you know, I had taken him for a job uh, interview or he was filling out an application or something. Um, and I was like, Hey, have you eaten today? And he's just like, no, you know, he's didn't say anything. And, and I'm like, all right, we're going to go. We're gonna, I'm hungry. We're going to go to Chick-fil-A. So we're sitting in the line at Chick-fil-A and I'm, and I'm talking to him about, like, Hey man, you know, like I was, I was working at recovery resource council, which is a, a substance abuse agency. And I, I had talked to someone there who, who knew people like in the state, Hey, we can get him into an inpatient or an outpatient, whatever he was more comfortable with. Um, but he has to be the one that, you know, pulls the trigger on that stuff. You know, he has to be the one that calls us and tells us this stuff. So I'm, I'm telling him, I'm like, Hey, you know, I know you don't have insurance right now, which is totally cool there. You know, I know this lady, she'll, she'll be able to like get your name on the list or whatever. And, um, he kind of explodes for a little bit, right? Like, he's like, what's your problem? Like, what do you, what do you think? I don't, you know, there's no issue with him. And my dad probably drink like at least a 12 pack a day, maybe. Um, wow. and then he's like, and then I'm like, Hey man, yeah, it does bother me. Like, I want to be able to have a, a, you know, a good relationship with you. I want you to be, have a good relationship with your grandchildren going forward. And I know all of my siblings would want the same thing. Um, and he just like stares out of the window for maybe five minutes, you know what I mean? And I mean, at Chick-fil-A, like basically one car went by. Um, <laughs> so, and then he's just like, he turns to me and he's just like, Hey, did you, did you watch the game last night? And I'm like, he did not like, I think we finally, like, that was probably the most real conversation I had with him, um, as far as trying to get him help. And he just completely just dissociated and didn't care to talk about it. And I was just, yeah. you know, I just wonder if you knew, um, you know, if your mom had struggled with stuff beforehand, cause I, I feel like my dad did, but I just feel like I was never going to figure it out. You yeah. know, I think that, so whenever I first cut off contact with my mom, she did what she typically does. How, how pathetic, how sorry you are, you know, like what a person you've become. You're just like your father. Like, I feel so bad for you. Like she pulls that crap, that stunt with me. She's done it since I was a little kid. Like, right. it's fine. I'm used to it at this point. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like my dad. What a shame, you know? And so, but after I cut her off, then my, so my, her mother is my nanny. Um, she passed away um, and back in 2016. My nanny's best friend is my aunt Marcia. So she's like my mother, she's like my mother, my aunt, my uncle, like their godmother, basically. So she calls me and is talking to me about stuff. And I kind of tell her what's going on. And you know, nobody on my mom's side, first of all, my whole mom's side of the family is kind of like everybody's got their own thing they're dealing with, kind of similar to what we're dealing with. But 
but not as severe. And nobody blames me for my mother's side of the family that I've done what I've done because of what has gone on. So I'm sitting here having a conversation with my aunt Marsha and she goes, you know, Britt, your mom's actually been like that since she was a little kid. Wow. And I was like, what? Wow. And she said, yeah, she's always had problems processing her emotions and communicating them and dealing with them. And I was like, okay. And just n- nobody was going to a tell me that or help her with that. Like, like what? And so I think that my mom made the decisions that she made, you know, like I had a choice when I was a kid to either go down the same road or be the person I needed. You know, I, I love that saying, like be the person you needed when you were little, right? right? Like I needed somebody to be that person and be honest and stand up for me and do the right thing. And nobody did, but I could have either gone down the path of crazy and manipulative and toxic, or I could just be better. Right. But I don't think my mom ever had that choice. You know, like, I think that she was, I think she's had a problem since she was a little kid and nobody's ever helped her diagnose that, you know, and and on the other side of it, she probably had a lot of people telling her, you are crazy. You are a liar. You are like whatever. So she's like, well, this is just who I am. That's and she, so she's the oldest child. So she was always blamed for everything. Like, oh, well, you know, Kim was doing this, or this is Kim's reason for doing this. And she, so there's a story that when my, so my mom and my aunt used to share the same bedroom when they were growing up par for the course. Right. And they liked to sneak out when they were in their teens, go to parties, do God knows what. Well, one night my mom snuck out and somebody had been watching their house. Somebody snuck in and raped my aunt. And they thought it was my mom coming home. So nobody woke up and did anything. He held a knife to her throat, did it, got out of there. Nobody knew any different until he had left. And my mom came home and saw what had happened. And so like there, and like, of course she was blamed for that. You know, like she, there are a lot of- Imagine carrying that around. Right, exactly. And so it's one of these things where like, you look back on somebody's lives and like, I know that she didn't have a good relationship with her mother either because- she right. was really critical on her. And it's like, there are a lot of things that she's dealing with, never got help with, or is harboring because she feels like one of her things is she won't go to one of the reasons she was at JPS for like two days, one time. And she left because she didn't want them to think she was crazy. And it's like, for me, as a millennial, it's like, you can't even hardly use the word crazy anymore, but for them, that was their life. You were crazy or you weren't crazy, Mm -hmm. or you were a drug addict or you weren't a drug addict. Like, you know, it was your fault or what, like there there was always so black and white, you know, there's no gray area. And she had to, she was dealing with a lot of stuff. You know, yeah. and so yes, I I think that she was harboring a. I think she still is harboring a lot of things that she's never we addressed. We had an issue like that, not an issue. It was like a conversation. We have an uncle and an aunt who, I mean, I love them to death. But my uncle grew up with my dad, and that's how you know he met my aunt. Um, he you know married my my dad's sister, and we were at the hospital, and he was telling us these stories, and we're just like, like he knows a lot more than what he leads us on to be. But I think for himself he pushed a lot of that stuff down to be a better man for like his kids and his family. So I think even to try to get him to, um, you know, he was like, Oh, there's just this one time. And he's like, you know what, that's, 
it's not a story we need to share. And I'm like, no, 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 you need to share that with us. We need this information. Cause I mean, I think a lot of what he knows will unlock, cause it was, you know, him, my dad and my uncle, and they were all three really great friends. And, and I'm like, I think what he knows is I think it would really unlock some, like, you know, that story that you got from people, I think it would unlock a, a lot of the stuff that I think, you know, we could look in and see what my dad may have been dealing with. Um, because my uncle was, you know, he lived the exact same life my dad did yeah. and they all hung out together, but you know, he changed his life. He became that person he needed as a kid. And then he was that man for his children. Cause I mean, he's a brilliant man. So, um, yeah, I think it's important for us to go to our, <laughs> our family members and try to figure out what they know. Cause it's so important. I think you, you really get yeah. to see your parents for who they were back then. Um, and think about all the things that they've been holding, like you were saying that they've been holding for years and, and giving them that, that space to say, Hey, that wasn't right. And it wasn't your fault and you weren't responsible. And that was a freak accident. Yeah. Um, and maybe someone being there for, you know, because you want to, people want to play, place blame. That's what we do as humans. Like it's easier to place blame than try to figure out like what really happened. Yeah. Or yeah. like, yeah, to take, or, <laughs> or in this case to find the real flaws in our parents, right. Without seeming like we're being ungrateful or right. like whatever. I mean, that's like the big like thing is like, why are you even questioning it? Or why are you even trying to call them out? Because like they raised you and they took care of you and they fed you and whatever. And it's just like, yeah, but they kind of fucked me up too. So like, I yeah. feel like it's not to blame, but it's just to like reflect because they should be reflecting too. Cause the odds are they're probably still the same person or they're just like a different kind of version of it. And they probably still have things they could work right. on too. Um, yep. And that's like the whole point. But while y'all were talking about that, I was thinking too, like, I mean, that's with anyone in our lives. Like I've had conversations with David where he tells me a story about his childhood and I like, will start crying. And he's like, what? And I'm just like, that's really sad. I'm like, you know, like, I'm sorry. Like, like you shouldn't have had to go through that or like that thing shouldn't have happened. And he's like, I mean, I guess. And like, you know, now with our daughter, like, he's like, oh yeah, like that's, yeah, that probably was yeah. not like, you know, yeah. and with my mom and dad, the same, they both told me stories where I'm just like, and, you know, and they're like, what? And I'm just like, that's fucked up, man. Like, I can't believe someone said that to you, much less your mom or dad or whoever it may be, yeah. you know, and like, that is the shit that you carry and you don't even realize you're carrying it because in that moment it changed you. And like, yeah. you have to look back and, later and, and figure out how it changed. You. And that's what I was always trying to figure out with my dad. And I don't know if you've done this with your mom, but like, I, I, that's what I wanted to know. Like, I wanted to know those stories from him, but he would minimize so much. And I think he was doing the same thing my uncle did. Like, he was really trying to protect us from his past by not sharing them and thinking the best thing that he could do to deal with his problems was to drink. And then we all know, you know, people will self-medicate. You know, you talked about your mom. They're going to self-medicate because they want to feel better. But then there's also a chemical reaction that's happening in our bodies that's very scientific that says, hey, if you use this thing long enough, addiction is going to kick in. And then once addiction has its hooks in you, it does. We're not worried about the problem and anymore. change your brain. Yeah, completely. We're 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 only worried about the substance at that point. Um, but I think you know, I think my dad. I think that's what he was trying to keep us from. Like, hey, I can minimize this. I can keep drowning this out, so you guys don't have to worry about it in a weird way, trying to protect us from it, without mm -hmm. never letting us really in on what he may have been dealing with. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, yeah, all big stuff. <laughs> so, um, <much. laughs> so what do you, we'll kind of round it out. What do you feel like now, like where you are now, like everything? Um, and thank you so much for sharing all of your uh, so vulnerability. Good. So powerful, yeah. yeah. Thank um, you. Uh, what, what do you feel like now are the things like 
Sam always likes to talk about, like, what do you do now for like self-care and like, what do you yeah. like, what is it that keeps you grounded? Like you said earlier mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So first, you know, Chris, so Chris knows this, but nobody else on the podcast knows this. So I, um, that's how she calls me Chris. Yeah. I call her Chris, <laughs> not Kristen. Um, so that toxic relationship that I was talking about, you know, once it ended, um, there was a lot of stuff that I was, you know, healing from coping with, um, you know, so I started seeing my therapist, like we had taken a break for a while, started seeing my therapist again. And then, you know, I met Jeremy and decided that I needed a change of scenery. So I moved, you know, I, there are, there is a small group of people in Texas that, what I like to call the way I like to refer to them is my people, the people that show up for you, right? you know, and I didn't have those people in Texas. It's a very small group. Chris is a part of that group, but like, I never had people that would show up for me genuinely, authentically show up. And I decided that I needed a change of scenery. You know, when Jeremy and I got serious, um, it came down to, well, somebody's going to have to make a move because you're in Ohio. I'm in Texas. Like what's, what's it going to be? And I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to, to have a change of scenery. So, you know, Kristen's moving on with her life. Like my other friends that in my group that show up for me, like they're moving on, they have kids, like people have lives, you know, people move on. And so my next step was moving to Ohio. And this was right when I went through a divorce, right. When I cut off contact with my mom, I was coping with a lot a lot of trauma at that point. And so I moved up here and I'll be and- honest as like a best friend, I was like, <gasps> like, I was so nervous <laughs> because like, well, cause I knew like everything she had been through and then like getting into like counseling and like all that stuff. I'm just like, Oh my God, this is, this is a fleeing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, she's, Oh, she's doing it. Like gotta go done here. But I was like, all right, we're just going to see what happens. Like, <laughs> you know? And so I'm glad that you said that though. Cause it was right. Like you, I, I just talked about me being the runner. And here I am. I'm like, I cannot deal with this place anymore. Bye. And so I uprooted my entire life and moved up to Columbus with the mindset of if it works great, if it doesn't cool, I always have a home. You know, my dad still lives in Texas. I can always come home. And like, we had talked about that, but what I did and the way that I looked at it is that when I moved from Texas to Ohio, this was my chance. You know, Texas had drugged me down for so long. Like I had so much history and so much trauma that stayed with me while I was there. And in Ohio, I didn't have any of that. Nobody knew me. Nobody knew my story. And it was wildly refreshing to come up here and meet people that had no idea what your trauma was like, or what had no idea what you had gone through with your ex-husband. And when I moved up here, I kind of got to create this, this group, this, this group of people that show up for me, this huge group of people that I curated. I picked these people, you know, I brought, I like hung out with these people I made decisions about them. I brought them into my life intentionally, you know, like nobody was there just because they had always been there. Like my mom or like other toxic family that I had, And so what I did is I came to Columbus and I curated this life that I had always wanted, you know, like I have this great job. I get to work from home permanently, which is like 
an introvert's dream. And, and I just, love it. She just got a promotion. And Ooh, I, congratulations. I just got promoted. Thank you. And so <laughs> I'm doing something that incorporates things that I enjoy, like art and design and learning. And I get to do those things. You know, I have a relationship with somebody that wants and is committed to growing with me, you know, like we want to grow together and we want to be the best for each other. And like, we're partners in this, you know, and like, I can't say that for any other relationship I've ever been in. And so like that to me is grounding because I'm finally, you know, my dad or no, Kristen, it was you that talked to me the other day, whenever you were like, what's new. And I said, nothing. I've just been living my life. And like, I love that I could finally give that answer because for the first time in my life, and I've, I've, you know, wanted this forever. I have peace and I have calm and I have understanding and I have safety. I've never had those things before. And I'm, I turned 32 this year, you know, like this is the first year I've ever been able to stop and go. Everything is going the way that I want it to go. You know, I'm I'm growing. I'm growing with my partner. Like we have a steady, consistent, calm household, which is mind blowing to me to the point that I even makes me a little nervous that I'm like, where's the conflict? What am I supposed to do without conflict? And so now at 31, I'm finally learning how to live my life for what most people would call normal It is wild to me. I'm like waking up in the morning, having my coffee, taking care of my dogs, like living my life, a boring routine. It's awesome. (laughs) Love it. But like, I ground myself in that, you know, like Chris and I talked the other day, I want to be married and have a family and do all of those things so badly. But I feel like right now in this season of my life, though, you know, the world is kind of going, why don't you stop for a little bit? You know, like you've been doing this for a long time. Why don't you just take a breath and enjoy the things that are around you and enjoy the peace you know, no trauma, no conflict. What a wild concept for somebody that comes from such a traumatic childhood. So like all of these things that I've been working on and cultivating, those are the things that ground me because I can finally sit back and it's like, I can breathe again. You know, I've, and I've never been able to say that there's never been a time in my life where I've been able to sit down and go, Oh, this is nice. This is really nice. Never, not once up until very recently. So those are the things that really ground me. And what's crazy is like you, you even have to learn how to do that. Right. Because like, Mm -hmm. as a child of trauma, like we all know, like we, we find comfort in the, in the conflict yes, and the chaos. Yes. Yeah. Like we find that. And I think so many people will do that. Um, and you, I mean, that's even a practice, right. To just be able to enjoy your life and say, Hey, like, I think so many people get caught up in like where they're trying to go. Like you forget that where you used to want to be is exactly where you're at right now. Exactly. And it's like really honing in and being like, Hey, like life is actually pretty okay right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to chase the Instagram dream. You know what I mean? Like that all these people are putting out there, which is a whole (laughs) nother conversation. Yeah. Whole nother. That's a whole nother (laughs) podcast episode. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And like your inner child is being healed. It sounds like your inner child, Brittany, is like, oh, like, cool. Like, you know, we made it. We made it. That's exactly, you know what? That's exactly right. Like, you know, we made it. And, you know, like I said, I have somebody that, you know, coming from a normal childhood, it's so wild for, for him to look at me and go like, why do I have to keep like snapping you back to the present? You know, like be present. That's the biggest, that's the hardest thing I think that I've had to learn. I don't 
oh God, this is going to probably make me emotional. But I remember like my therapist was like, you don't have to live like that anymore. You know, like you don't live in a household with two abusive parents or not two, but one abusive parent and one parent that abandons you sometimes and sometimes loves you. And like, so like you don't live like that anymore. Right. Like you're, you are separate from that. And that blew my mind. I was like, I am my own independent adult woman trying to create my own life. That's not my life anymore. I'm safe here. You know, and like, wow. I have to keep reminding myself of that because my first instinct, like we said, is to run, is to freak out, is to get my anxiety and look in the future, get my crystal ball. That's never right. And, and go, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Now it's at a point where I actually have to force myself to like, no, you're going to sit here and you're going to enjoy this and you're going to be bored and you're going to like it, you know, <laughs> because, because other than that, what else do I know? But chaos, mm -hmm. because that's where in mentally I'm still there. And so I have to constantly pull myself out of that and go, right. no, you're not. You're with somebody who loves you genuinely. This is what love is. But again, and, recognizing that, you know, yeah, a lot yeah. of people won't sit in that. Like you said, they won't sit in that feeling because they're constantly worried or thinking about the next thing or the next opportunity for conflict or chaos. Um, yeah, but unknowingly, unknowingly, usually. unknowingly, exactly. unknowingly, that's what yes. I'm saying, because they haven't done the, that work yet. That work that like we hope to talk about uh, on the podcast. And I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off, but I no, really, no. I really want to give Jeremy some props. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the guy. I was I was literally going to say too, like uh, attachment info one-on-one, -on -one, like you only need one secure attachment to a person mm -hmm. when you're a child. Right. So it literally sounds like your inner child is like being healed by him being your secure attachment that you yep. literally never had. That's pretty, I like my therapist. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. fucking, that's pretty fucking it's cool. true. It's, it's yeah. true. You know, like, and she had to explain that to him. She was like, Jeremy, you know, she's never had this. So you're going to be this for her. This is, this is it. And so he, you know, strives to meet my safety need. I get my safety need met in several different ways, but then I also have to take a step back and recognize that, you know, this person is working to meet that need for me. And I have to be able to recognize what that looks like, right? Whether it's intimacy or it's him grabbing me a glass of tea. Like whenever I'm like jumping out of the shower, about to watch TV or whatever, like there's like a fresh glass of sweet tea there for me, like sitting by my chair. And I'm like, that's love. Like that is what love looks like because when you're a, a child for, or you have a traumatic childhood, you don't know what authentic love looks like. It's very confusing to try to figure that out on your own. And so my, you know, it took a therapist going, he loves you. You have to recognize that this is what love looks like. And God, that is so, there's such a relief. Like it's such a breath of fresh air, you know, to actually have somebody that genuinely understands how to love another human being. It's the first time I've ever experienced it in my entire life. We'll just call this the Jeremy episode. The just Jeremy episode. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he'll be like, what me? Thank you. <laughs> no. Cause it really like, yeah, it's just, um, moving forward in your life. Like that's good. And whatever things happen whatever you don't know your future but right. like right now that's the most constant thing helping you do all the work yeah so absolutely yeah yeah well again we really appreciate you a lot so much fun that was yeah, fun. so, so much, much fun. as being our first guest guinea pig um yeah so all right well hopefully maybe we can have you on again and talk about something completely different because i'm sure you have lots of cool. things to talk oh, about so much i always yeah. have stuff to talk about you know me <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you very and, much. And what I heard was maybe a, a ATTC like trip to Columbus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I've Yay! never been. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, yeah, I'm like, we're always willing to go anywhere to try new things. So yeah. As long as you sure. like food and craft beer, you'll love Columbus. So get up Sounds here. Cool. We'll go yeah. to the zoo, yeah, like, go to a concert. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Brittany. We really appreciate right. it. Thank you, thanks, Brittany. guys. I appreciate Bye. you. Bye. Bye.